we are continuing on in Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23 this morning, verse 44. If you have your Bibles, or it's on the screen, or you have your phones, like there's many ways to get into the Word now. And the title is The Cross, The Cross. And as you're turning there, uh, just let me tell you, back when we lived in Southern California, we had a, we had a dentist who went to the, a big Calvary, big Calvary Chapel, and it was his ministry to bless pastors with free dental work. So, of course, our whole family went to see Dr. Kawhi, who did everything for free, and it was a blessing, you know? One thing I noticed, though, now that we are in Mobile, the, the cleanings at Dr. Kawhi's office and the cleanings here, the teeth cleanings, are very different. And the dental assistant at Kawhi's office, honestly, they would clean and scrape your teeth so intensely with so much pressure. I mean, they would be scraping like you scrape your window when it's icy. Like, that's, it's like your head would be, it, it's crazy. I mean, uh... It seemed like they were so rough, right? And, and, and I think dental assistants at Kawhi's office, they must have had like a 30, you have to have 30-inch biceps in order to clean this teeth because it was a workout for them and it was painful for us. But, but then I went to the dentist here, which I just went to for cleaning on this last Wednesday, and they're very different, very different. I mean, we go, we go to a good dentist, right? Don't get me wrong, but the dental assistants, they aren't rough on my teeth. They scrape them very gently and lightly, they, they handle my teeth like fine china or something. And so it didn't hurt. It was painless. I could tell they didn't use any grit, you know, to clean my teeth. So I was in the chair, and she was cleaning my teeth the other day. I was just thinking about the contrast. That's my weird mind. I'd be contrast between these two dentists. Now, it's less painful here, but my teeth did not feel as properly cleaned afterwards. And I feel like there was no grit or muscle involved, you know, and my teeth felt somewhat clean, but not like Kawhi's office. So I came to this realization. I think I would rather endure pain and have super clean teeth rather than have no pain and have my teeth not as clean. And so the point is, yes, there's a point, I promise, there's a point. There is pain on the onset, but the results are what matters. Just like we have to face hardships and storms before we get to a sunny day, if you will. Just like we have to walk through a dark valley from time to time in order to get to a clearing where the sun is shining. Pain is no fun, but oftentimes we learn more through suffering than we do through great times. One pastor said this, he said, risk is real. The Christian life is a painful life, not joyless, but not painless either. We all face pain, for it's part of life in a fallen, sin-ridden world. Yet even when we face those tough times, the Lord is teaching us to trust Him through it all. And that's a question for us, a self-reflective question. Is, are we learning to trust God through trials? You know, are we remaining teachable through troubled times? It's during the storms that we must take shelter in the Lord and refuge in our Redeemer. You know, one pastor wrote, I love this. He said, it is true that we are sinners, but Christ has suffered for us. It is true that we deserve death, but Christ has died for us. It is true that we're guilty debtors, but Christ has paid our debts with his own blood. This is the real gospel. He says, in this, or on this, let us lean while we live. To this, let us cling when we die. He says, Christ has been lifted up on the cross and has thrown open the gates of heaven to all believers. I love that. See, Jesus faced pain and suffering at first, but his willingness to get to the cross or go to the cross for us led to forgiveness of our sin, a life set apart, and a death that leads to real life. And, you know, is this truth still impactful 
to you? Is it just a historical biblical fact, or do you read it and you go, oh, that's nice, right? This is real life, and, and it's, if Jesus' death doesn't affect our heart, then our hearts may be callous, just to be real. Remember that saying, no pain, no gain? No pain, no, I, like, I like looking at the origin of the sayings for some reason, but but this idea, no pain, no gain, it became a modern-day proverb. It came from this ancient Greek writer from one of his plays. And some words in one of his plays go like this. He says, nothing truly succeeds without pain. Nothing succeeds without toil. There's no success without hard work. Without labor, nothing prospers. And one theologian wrote, he said, when you suffer and lose, that does not mean you're being disobedient to God. In fact... It might mean you're right in the center of his will. The pain of obedience is often marked by times of suffering and loss. So guys, honestly, like we don't know the, you know, and we never will, the full extent of the pain and suffering that Jesus endured. He suffered more than anyone, and we can read about it and ponder it, but still it's hard to fathom fully. We never will. Yet we can embrace and be assured by it is that Jesus suffered and faced pain so that we could be forgiven. We have a place prepared for us in eternity. And as we delve into these scriptures that have everything to do with death, the death of Jesus, remember, we have to remember, that, you know, in the long run, that the, the tomb is empty. Jesus rose from the dead, completely defeating death. Death passed away when Jesus rose from the dead. So there's pain before paradise. There's suffering before salvation. So, so let's pray, you guys, and we'll get into the word this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son, Lord, to die, rise again, to ascend to heaven, who's interceding for us as we speak. Lord, we thank you for the way in which you work in our lives, Lord, that the cross led to forgiveness and freedom and so many amazing things, Lord. Help us to be reminded of these facts, Lord, these truths, and just be grateful, cultivating hearts of uh, just praise, Lord. We thank you for this morning in your word. We just pray that you'd speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're about to get into scripture, but I just want to talk about one thing. The, the Gospels, remember, they're not contradictory, they're complementary, right? We put them all together and we see the full picture of what the Lord wants for us to read and to know. So I just want to, before we start the scriptures, give you the seven sayings in order spoken by Jesus from the cross. Now, I didn't do just a sermon on the seven sayings of Jesus. I almost did, but I was just seeking the Lord. He said, just keep going. But that can be your homework if you choose. It's an amazing study because all these statements from the cross that Jesus made, they were all meaningful. They were all purposeful. They were all powerful. So the first thing Jesus said from the cross is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. <clears throat> and we looked at that last week. Jesus forgave those putting him to death. Forgive them as they're putting him to death. Jesus said, number two, today you shall be with me in paradise to one of the thieves. Jesus assured one of the thieves that he was saved after repentance. And then number three, Jesus said to Mary, his mother, and John, woman, behold your son. And to John, he said, behold your mother. Jesus made sure Mary, his mother, would take, was being taken care of when he died, so John would take her in and take care of her. And this always astounds me, this simple fact that you see that Jesus was thinking of others, even as he was facing the most horrid pain of suffering of anyone's life. He was thinking of others. Jesus then said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words are actually from Psalm 22, and prophecy was fulfilled both in agony and in exaltation. 
And what's significant is that this is the only time in the synoptic gospels that Jesus didn't address God without calling him Father. Up to this point, Jesus had never been separated from his Father, hence the crying out. Jesus then said, I thirst. And we see the humanity of Jesus by this statement. Jesus said, it is finished. The work of Jesus, it's, it's a finished work that has everything to do with atonement and redemption. Lastly, lastly <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus, by the statement, was saying that the work of fulfilling God's will was complete. There's no need to stay on the cross for the work was finished. Luke records a few of these sayings as we're going to see. So verses 44 to 49 of Luke chapter 23, it says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And so when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and they returned. But all his uh, acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So what we see, we see a whole bunch of stuff, but what we see is Jesus and the Father. Verse 44, so what the darkness demonstrated was the agony of creation itself because of Jesus' suffering. The crucifixion happened during Passover season, and Passover is always held during a full moon. A natural eclipse of the sun is impossible with a full moon, during a full moon. But remember, we know this. There is no such thing as impossible with God, right? God did miracles before his crucifixion, during his crucifixion, and after his crucifixion. And he's still doing miracles today. And as I look at all of you, I see a whole bunch of miracles. Because when people say, oh, God doesn't do miracles, I look at people and I go, look at all these changed lives. Look at these saved souls. I, have, I know a whole bunch of miracles, personally. But when Israel was in Egypt, three days of darkness preceded the first Passover. When Jesus was on the cross, three hours of darkness happened before Jesus, the Lamb of God, who gave himself for the sins of the world, was slain. And also this darkness, it was a sign to the nation of Israel. They had rejected the light, and now they would be blinded to the truth. So what happened on the cross is likened to a transaction between the Father and the Son. Right? The Father said all the guilt and wrath that we deserved, he, he said it all that we deserved, for he took it all that we deserved. In other words, sorry. Jesus bore our sin perfectly, in other words, actually satisfying the wrath of God for us. Like, you should have been on that cross, naked, bloody, in the worst pain of your life because of the sinner you are. All of us should have been crucified. All of us. Jesus took on the cup of wrath that he was praying about. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? The cup of suffering and pain, the cup was of God's wrath that you and I deserved. Yet Jesus took our place, and that's love. Jesus drank the cup of God's fury so you wouldn't have to, so I wouldn't have to. So if we catch ourselves, I'm just saying, like, being ungrateful at certain times, I would say stop and realize we have nothing to complain about. We have nothing to whine about. And, and the Scripture sums it up perfectly. Scripture from 700 years before, over 700 years, about the promised Messiah, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 to 5, it says about the Messiah, the coming Messiah, Jesus. He is despised and rejected by men, 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by, by his stripes we are healed. Jesus suffered and died alone to make atonement for the sins of the world so we could be forgiven and saved and have a future with him. I mean, we all know this, right? We all know this. But are we letting this truth affect our daily lives, right, and our daily attitudes? I understand we all have different triggers, okay? I, 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 I don't like that term, but, but the term triggers, let me give you the origin. Triggered, it, date, it dates back to World War I when psychologists were trying to make sense of shell shock and war neurosis. And in the new colloquial sense, culture uses the term now to describe anything that is mildly irritating. That person cut me off. I'm triggered. You know? so, but, but I get that we all have certain things that affect us and bring us into a place of you know, frustration and irritation. But it's important to remember that you, can, you, know, you cannot defeat what you cannot define. You must identify those things that bring you to the, that ungodly and carnal place and take initiative to take care of those. Ask God to work in those areas, and he will. Just identify and take action. But in those moments of frustration, of irritation, remembering that Jesus has taken our place and that he's taken our pain should immediately change our countenance. Right? I would just say, don't let small, petty things change or downgrade your attitude. So it's clear that Jesus did not die for his own sins because he had none, right? Hebrews 4 reminds us that we have a high priest who was tempted in every point yet without sin. But when you see eye to eye with someone, you know, you meet someone, you can relate to them, you got some, you know, uh, things in common, you know you found someone you can talk to, right? Someone who understands, someone who gets you, someone who you get. Jesus understands because he has been tempted and tested at all points. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, for Jesus, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So it's clear biblically that Jesus died for our sins. It's clear. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus made his soul an offering for sin. So if you forget all the reasons to praise the Lord, I would say remember the cross. And you and be just be astonished at what Jesus went through for you. And then that's 44. So 45, the tearing of the temple. I mean, this is this is all so heavy and radical and amazing, but the tearing of the temple shows us a couple of things. Number one, all who repent and trust in Christ have access to the throne of grace by the cross. And so number two, the Lord would no longer be limited to temples made with hands. So access was granted through Christ to the Father anytime. And here's, here's a significant fact about the tearing of the veil. I love this. Matthew 27, 51 lets us know the veil was torn right to top to bottom. Now, here's why that's significant. If the veil was torn from bottom to top, well, guess what? People could attribute it to man. People would take the glory and the credit for it because that's how people are, right? But the veil was torn from top to bottom, signifying it was torn from heaven to earth. God wanted lost humanity to have access to him through Christ. And all the glory would go to him. 
not us. It never should go to us, all, all to him. So the veil being torn, it illustrated the, to the priests and the people that the way into God's presence was open for all who would come to him by faith through Christ. So Jesus, we know this, John 14, 6, is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bridge. He is the door. He is the one who connects sinful humanity with the holy God, and it's through the cross. A preacher and a hymn writer from Scotland in the early 1800s, he wrote about 140 hymns, which many are still sung today. He said this. He said, faith is the acknowledgement of the entire absence of all goodness in us, and the recognition of the cross as the substitute for all the want on our part. The whole, work, uh, the whole work is his, not ours, from first to last. Jesus did the work, and we benefit a lot from what he did. And how, how amazing is it that we can actually talk to God and commune with him and connect with him, and he hears us. So the veil was torn. And then in verse 46, we know from John 19:30 that when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he first said, it is finished. Right, which the word for this phrase is one word, tetelestai, which means paid in full, meaning Jesus paid the whole debt of sin that you and I owed. It's like you having a huge debt. Someone says, "Hey, by the way, you know, I paid your whole debt off. Don't worry about it. I paid your school loan off. You know, thirty thousand dollars. It's it's wiped clean." And you freak out because you didn't do anything to deserve it, <laughs> and you're astonished by this action. So Jesus cried out with a loud voice where he should have been at this point gasping for breath and barely able to talk. The pain and suffering demonstrated his humanity, but the fact that Jesus could actually shout with a loud voice demonstrated he was still in control, even on the cross. Do you know that God is still in control and leading you? Even when it feels chaotic, God is in control. <laughs> yeah, amen. Even when it feels chaotic, God is in control. We have to kind of remind ourselves sometimes, you know, because we look around and we go, is there anything good anywhere? <laughs> like, you know, sometimes we feel like the only Christ followers on this earth. We look at the news, we look at social media, we look at all these things that everything is backwards. Good called evil, evil called good. It's just, it's a mess. But God is still in control. He's still with you. He's still leading you. He's still using you in the lives of others, even in the chaos, God's in control. Even when you face pain, the Lord still has a plan for you. Sometimes, you know, when we face pain, it's either like, where are you, God? Or it's like, Lord, I need you now. <laughs> you know, you can either lean into him and trust in him and, and ask him for strength and everything you need, or, or the other option is people kind of drift away from him and say, forget it. I'm going through this, no way. Well, Paul didn't say that when he had a thorn in his side, and God said a few times, my grace is sufficient for you. He's sovereign, but he also calls us to take daily steps of faith rather than be idle and immobile. I like what someone said. They said, the Lord created the road. It's our job to point our feet in the right direction. <laughs> I love that. And then Jesus says, it is finished. So many types and prophecies were fulfilled at this very moment. The work of redemption was complete. The last thing Jesus uttered from the cross was, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And of course, this was an Old Testament scripture from Psalm 31.5, which says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord God of truth. The phrase, it was actually a prayer that was prayed by Jewish children and illustrates that Jesus died a few things, confidently, willingly, and victoriously. John 10.17-18, Jesus says during his earthly ministry, Therefore my Father loves me, 
because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So those of you who know Jesus, and I hope that's everyone here this morning, when the time comes, you can die with the same assurance and confidence. The average human lives for 76 years. Of course, it's a general statistic. My dad is 76, and he's probably going to outlive me. He's so healthy. He drinks wheatgrass and all kinds of stuff. He's just like... But Jesus was yielding his living spirit to God the Father, even as he was yielding his body to death on the cross. And think about this. Paul the Apostle, who was learned and zealous for Jesus post-salvation, he said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is how powerful this moment is. This is how life-changing this moment is. You know, one Christian writer, he wrote, Beautiful ironies of the cross. As they mock him, they submit to prophecy. As they lift him, they exalt him. As they kill him, he conquers. So God even uses unbelievers to get his will done without them knowing it. Think about how amazing that is. And so it says, having said this, he breathed his last. Once Jesus, you know, once Jesus accomplished the work of the cross, there was no more need for suffering. When you're done with your God-given missions on this earth, your life will be used to capacity for the Lord here, and then you'll be with him. The, the phrase breathed his last, it means breathe out his life. The, bra- the, the phrase is also mentioned in Genesis 2-7. God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became a living soul. So God breathed life into Adam, and Jesus breathed out the breath of life. The latter paid the consequence for the sin of the former in order to initiate a new covenant. (laughs) And God did it for us. I mean, it's overwhelming. As I was studying this, I was trying not to sob, you know, and and as I'm talking about it now, it, it should impact us. It should affect us. It shouldn't just be like, oh, that's great. But like, no, this really, he really did this for me. And from that point of passion and reality that Jesus died for us, that should compel us, motivate us to get out there and let people know this is real. He died for us. He died for you too. And in verse 47 to 49, there was a few responses, right, to the events of the last moments of Jesus' death. First of all, the centurion who was in charge of the execution, he did something astonishing. It says, it says he glorified God. It's like, What? When Jesus died on the cross, a Gentile you know, soldier glorified God because he understood who Jesus was. He said, certainly this was a righteous man. And this is a picture of those who, whose hearts are open to the truth, who encounter Jesus and are susceptible to being saved. I mean, listen to what Jesus says in John 12, 32. He said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. He came to seek and save that which was lost. The whole crowd who came together to see this sight, you know, seeing what had been done, it says, it says they <laughs> beat their breasts and they returned. The crowd started to thin out. Some were burdened with guilt. These people were probably not believers. They may have been a couple, but they, they were spectators who were attracted by the execution, but they saw and heard enough, I, I believe, to be convicted. The women, and, and significantly also, the women were the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. Guys, we've got to step it up. 
I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We got seven. Okay, and then 50 to 56, it says, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member and a good and a just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then he took it down, he wrapped it in linen, and laid it in the tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever laid before. That day was the day, uh, I'm sorry, was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned, and they prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And so we know from John 19 that, you know, that Joseph and his buddy Nicodemus were both members of the Jewish council. You can find that in uh, John 19, 38 to 40 also. But these two didn't vote against Jesus to condemn him, right, like the rest of the council did. So the body, the bodies of crucified criminals, they were usually left on the crosses to be eaten by wild animals and birds would pluck out their eyes and to just rot and be seen by the city and the onlookers, as a reminder, hey, don't mess with the Romans. Look what's going to happen to you. But the tomb was likely Joseph's, which was already prepared in a garden near Golgotha. So it's thought that Joseph and Nicodemus were actually hiding in Joseph's tomb until Jesus died so that they could quickly offer up the place of burial. They wouldn't have requested the body and then went to gather up what they needed. There was no time. It was a Passover. So they would already have had the spices and the sheets available for Jesus' body. And think about this. Joseph may have been a secret disciple, but what he could do was serve the Lord in ways that others couldn't. You know, see, the Lord has me to serve in certain ways that maybe others can't. The Lord has you serve in certain ways that we can't, right? Like, he gives us all gifts and blessings in different ways. For Joseph's had money. Joseph had money and was able to get this tomb ready for Jesus. See, Peter, James, and John, they couldn't provide the tomb for Jesus. They had no money, right? But Joseph of Arimathea could, and he did. And the point is, we are to serve the Lord with the gifts and the blessings he has given us, and God will equip us to do so. We're all valuable, right? We're, uh, there's one body, but we all have different parts, all have different functions. So when Jesus died, Joseph went straight to Pilate to get permission of the body of Jesus. He was ready. What a lesson for us to be prepared right now for what's ahead. You know, be proactive, take initiative in the spiritual things. I'm so grateful, again, for everyone who helped setting up for the garage sale, and the Uganda thing, and all the different ways people support. Again, we raised about $1,400 for a garage sale. And there's still more stuff on, I think, Marketplace or eBay. So it's great to see all the support. It was a blessing, especially those who were proactive, just willing to do whatever. I love just seeing people just, whatever the Lord wants, that's what I'm going to do. This one person said who, who helped, um, she was like, I said, thank you for your help, you know, and she said, oh, I knew it was all for Jesus, so I wanted to give my all. I wanted to give my all. And that's the right attitude, that's the right heart in all that we do on this earth. I'm going to give my all for the Lord. As Christians, you know, God is always preparing us, you know, our hearts right now for what's ahead. To make, you know, and we must make sure that we're doing our part, which is just following the Lord in all he's calling us to do. And it's also important to remember that this burial was supposed to be a temporary burial until after the Sabbath when they'd return and do the burial properly. But what's amazing is that when they laid Jesus in the tomb, Isaiah 53, 9 was fulfilled. 
which says, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. So Joseph kept the Romans from throwing Jesus' body in the garbage dump outside of the city, which was customary for crucified criminals. Condemned criminals would lose the right to be properly buried. God saw to it that Jesus was buried with dignity, with love. Talk about a loving father. So after six days, God finished the work of the old creation and then rested. After six hours, the Lord just finished the work of the new creation, and he rested on the Sabbath in Joseph's tomb, if you will. And it says Jesus' body that they laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. So it would have been a sacrifice for Joseph to use this tomb for Jesus. But as we know, Jesus would only use it for a few days. It, right? it was just barring it. It was a temporary tomb. It was a few-day grave. It was just quick. You know, the tomb could not hold Jesus, for he would rise again and defeat death. Death entered the world because of sin. Death was defeated when Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose again, validating God's plan and our faith. As we read about the death of Jesus, hope is not lost. Rather, hope is gained and love is demonstrated. For he rose again, making it possible to be forgiven, to come to God boldly, and to be with him forever when these earthly tents wear out. Is there anything better than that? I don't, think, I don't think there's anything better than that. That is amazing. So the cross should affect us in our everyday lives. Amen? Well, let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time just to reflect on what your son has done for a lost humanity. We couldn't do it ourselves, and we still can't, Lord. We can't work our way to heaven, Lord. We're stuck in a miry pit. We just raise our hand and surrender, and you... Pick us up, set us upon the rock, uh, clean us off, Lord, consistently working on us. And we just thank you that, like your word says, he would begin a good work in us. We'll complete it, Lord. You're not done with us. And we thank you for that. Sometimes we give up and we say, God is done with me. He is not. There's still more work to do. He still wants to use your life as a light to glorify himself. Everything you do, Lord, we know is for, for our good and your glory. And that's the key, Lord. It's all for your glory. It's all for your kingdom. We want to build our treasure up in heaven, not on this earth. And so we pray, God, that you'd strengthen us, that you give us wisdom, that you prepare us now for what you have ahead of us, but that we wouldn't be so future-focused, Lord, that we would lose sight of what you're doing today, right now. We just thank you for the work, Lord, that the unseen work often, Lord, but we know if we set our minds on things above and not on the earth, then we'll be effective for eternity while we're on this earth. We have a short time, Lord. Help us to redeem the time and be used for Again, your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Let's go ahead and stand.
hope you have a great week. And if you need prayer, some of the guys will be up here.